Well, good morning, New Hope. Happy birthday, Wendy. Happy birthday, Zach. And, uh, oh, congratulations uh, to the first family who were the, the first champions of our, uh, our first family trivia night. Who knew one family knew so much about Sean Connery? Um, it was a great time, and I think we're going to probably uh, do it again, uh, I don't know, semi-regularly. Uh, actually, I think that uh, even, even the champion Eric First himself has uh, agreed to, to host the game next time. So keep your uh, ears tuned for that. So um, I wanted to give you uh, a quick word on conversations around uh, reopening. Um, as you're probably aware, Governor Hogan announced last week that official restrictions statewide uh, would start to loosen, and we anticipate that they'll be further eased in the coming weeks. And that being said, you know as well as I do um, that the situation is fluid, and that it's absolutely our intention to walk before we run. We have no plans to reopen the building for worship in the immediate future. Uh, we have been richly, richly blessed to be able to offer this live stream uh, service. Um, and while I do believe that this pandemic has taught us all a lesson on the value of community, um, I think it wouldn't be wise for us to rush into anything. Uh, we won't have the option of regathering until the second phase of the, of the governor's plan anyway, but, but more importantly, <clears throat> we want to be cautious and we want to make moves that are appropriate and responsible to the context in which we find ourselves. Um, we don't do that from a position of fear. Uh, it's actually quite the opposite. We do that with the conviction that it takes courage to do what is right. And when the time comes for us to start gathering together again, um, that's going to take courage as well. So we want to make sure that the time is right to make that move. Um, and all we know right now is that it's not yet. So in that light, we are starting a new series this morning. Uh, it's called Call Me the Breeze. Uh, the title of the series comes from a J.J. Cale song. J.J. Cale was a, was a, a, was a, was a blues musician, um, uh, rock musician, uh, that uh, often played with Eric Clapton. Eric Clapton actually did a couple like tribute albums with him and all that. Um, the, the song uh, was also brilliantly covered by the band Leonard Skinner on their live album, One More From The Road. And the series banner uh, actually mimics the cover of that album. It's this song of loud, electric, steady, blues, improv rock, which has awesome guitar work and this smoking piano solo that I think makes up like a fifth of the song. Um, the song says, uh, they call me the breeze because I keep blowing down the road. Ain't no change in the weather, ain't no changes in me. This series is on the Holy Spirit. In recent years, Writers like Francis Chan have lamented what they have seen as a forgotten God. In their opinion, the church has neglected the doctrine of the Holy Spirit um, and thus forgot about the counselor, the comforter, the keeper that sustains us. Um, second century church father Tertullian said that the coming of Christ was the fulfilling of the law 
But the whole coming of the Holy Spirit is the fulfilling of the gospel. Still, for some reason, evangelicals have been trepidatious regarding the discussion of the Holy Spirit. And perhaps that's understandable. The Spirit is, by His very nature, mysterious. The eternally tragic thing there is that the doctrine of the Holy Spirit has divided the church in perhaps in ways that perhaps no other aspect of God's character has. I mean, think about that. A, a crucial, irremovable part of Almighty God has given the church worldwide reason to treat each other with disdain and contempt. It's one thing for us to be divided over musical styles. It is an entirely more painful reality to see Jesus' church divided over the very thing that is supposed to fuel us. So, while I thought it would be a good idea to drop anchor on the Holy Spirit for a while, I thought that would be a good idea. And this will be a five-week series which will incorporate the Ascension and, and Trinity Sunday and, and Pentecost. We'll discuss the topic of the Holy Spirit from a Hebrew point of view today. We're going to look at next week, we're going to look at it from a Christological point of view, that is a, the point of view of, of Jesus. We're going to look at this from a, an ecclesiological point of view, that is the point of view of the early church in Acts. We're going to look at it from a Pauline point of view and look about what Paul had to say about the Holy Spirit. And in the final weeks, uh, we're going to talk about spiritual gifts. Before we go any further, though, I want us to look at one particular Old Testament passage that has to be at the center of everything that we say in regards to the Holy Spirit. Uh, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Here we find a foundational passage for what it means to be the people of God. Deuteronomy chapter 6 starting in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. I mean, think just for a moment. Everything that we learned um, last uh, year or this, this past year about the Sermon on the Mount. Again and again and again, the Sermon on the Mount, the, 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 the lesson was, how about your heart? How about your heart? How about your heart? Here in Deuteronomy, we get this foundational passage that, that the law of God, the ways of God, the ways of the people of God, what it means to have your identity rooted in God's holiness as God's holy people looks about your heart being in the right place. And then Deuteronomy continues, You shall teach them diligently to your children these ways. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as, as frontlets between your eyes. It, it meaning, it's going to affect your worldview. If you look at the world through the eyes of, of one who has a heart for God, it's going to affect your worldview. It's not only going to affect uh, one hour on Sunday mornings, it's going to affect your entire way you view this world. And Deuteronomy says, you shall write them on your doorposts these ways, the doorposts of your house and on your gates, uh, meaning that it's, 
If you live this way of the God, of, of God, this, this way of the one true God, it is going to affect your home. It is going to affect your community. Now the commentaries are quick to point out that before this passage is arguing for monotheism, it's primarily language that coincides with the first commandment, that Israel is to have no other gods before Yahweh. Now you might ask, does that mean that there are other gods other than Yahweh? Well, no, there's no other actual deities other than God, but that doesn't mean that there aren't other things that'll vie for your worship attention. You might reactively reply, of course I know that, but the truth is that human beings, I think it was John Calvin who said this, that human beings are idol factories. The first part of that passage is commonly known, I think it's uh, verse 4, is commonly known as the Shema. Probably the Shema is the, probably the most memorized verse for the Jewish people. It, it would have been as common for them and as common for children to memorize it as the Lord's Prayer is for us. And what follows is specific instructions that households are to make that, that this principle is crystal clear, especially in regards to children. God alone is the only one worthy of your praise. And to worship him requires far more than your attendance at synagogue or your attendance at church. It requires, to truly worship God, it requires all of everything that is you and your family. We are to love God, we're commanded to love God with all our heart, soul, and might. And when Jesus quotes this verse, he includes that we should worship God with our mind as well. So everything that we have, everything that we are, all of it belongs to God. Our passion, our spirit, our intellect, and as well as our physical bodies, all of it belongs to God and we too are to love God with everything that we are. So, why is that so important? Well, why bring it up now? You know, at the beginning of a series on the Holy Spirit. The reason why I bring it up now is because there are some who might make the mistake of assuming that when we talk about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we are talking about some polytheistic faith, one that worships more than one God. The ancient world was full of polytheism that talked of gods who were far too busy dealing with their own drama than to be truly loving to human beings. And it's vital right up front in the series to stress the importance that when we speak of the Holy Spirit, we are speaking of the spirit of the triune God who reveals himself to his creation in three persons but is eternally one. And that's why it's important to pay attention when, when some challenge us on how we've neglected the Holy Spirit in our worship. Because, because if we've truly done that, right? It's not just that we've neglected one aspect of God's character. Of course, that would be bad enough. When we neglect the Holy Spirit, we're neglecting the Father and the Son as well. 
Some have said that the reason why the evangelical church neglected the Holy Spirit is because we want to stress Christology. That is, we want to stress the importance of Jesus. Nothing wrong with that, of course. But the truth is, as we'll see next week, to live a life with Christ as the center is to live a life keeping in step with his Holy Spirit. The advocate that Jesus left us to guide us and to empower us. You want to know how on earth you could possibly truly love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That is only possible, friends, through the power of the Holy Spirit who sanctifies us in Christ to the glory of God the Father. Theologian Karl Barth said that the Holy Spirit imparts freedom. Freedom to have a Lord, this Lord, God as Lord. So that's also the reason why it's vital for us to stress the importance that the Holy Spirit is a who and not a what. He is a person and operates personally in and through his creation. Uh, Mike Bird says that the Holy Spirit is not Jesus' vapor trail or a divine fog that like transcends from heaven or descends from heaven. He is a person with personality, purpose, and prerogatives. For years, the common theological exercise was for preachers or even seminary professors to discuss the, the, like the similarities and differences between the Holy Spirit and the Force from Star Wars. That, that exercise you know, could still have merit, but you know, they keep changing the rules of the Force, so it kind of complicates matters. W what's important still, though, is that the Holy Spirit is personal in nature. He, he's not an abstract force that may or may not be working in the world. He is the ever-present spirit of the living God moving in dynamic fashion through all that he has called into existence. In the Nicene Creed, we say that we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, and that he is to be worshiped and glorified. So, speaking of that, Turn back with me to the beginning. That is to Genesis chapter 1. If Israel is to have uh, no other gods before Yahweh, it's important that we start from the beginning to see his character. So, right at the beginning of the Bible, beginning at verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. So, whatever was, was without form, it was void, and it was dark. It was without form, it was chaos. It was wasteland, it was vain, it was nothingness. It was void, meaning it was empty. It was unused. And it was dark, it was obscure, it was full of ignorance, it was secret, it was, um, later in the Bible, it, that word is actually used to describe an underground prison. There are tons that could be said about these words, but, but for now, for our purposes, whatever was, 
was initiated by God, evidently um, the one who has the power of aseity. We talked about this a few months ago, that God has the power of aseity, that is the power of self-existence. And we know that God gathered this kind of primordial clay before he set about the business of fashioning it into, fashioning it into his creative order, created order. We read then in Genesis that the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, the, the word spirit there it is the Hebrew ruach, which, which means wind or, or breath, breeze. So we right away, we get this image that God is gathering this primordial clay and, and he is about to breathe life into it through the power of his Holy Spirit. Uh, there's another interesting word in that sentence though, and that's the word hovering. Some translations even use the word uh, brooding, but that might get us in trouble. This idea that God's spirit was brooding over the face of the waters. The word hovering or brooding, it's only used two other times in the Old Testament. Later on in Jeremiah, Jeremiah is going to use it uh, to, 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 to mean shake or, or flutter. He's going to say, my heart within me is broken because of the prophets. All my bones shake. The word shake there is the word that is the word hovering in Genesis. So, so what does shaking have to do with hovering? Uh, maybe it's, it's like when you shake up an etch-a-stitch, right? God's taking this kind of primordial clay and he's, he's shaking it up. I think we actually like, kind of use some of this language in worship today. He's going to shake it up in the act of creation. The, the other usage of the word is actually back in Deuteronomy, or in Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy 32, uh, in verse 11. It says, as an eagle stirs up its nest, hovers over its young, spreading out its wings, taking them up, carrying them on its wings. So, so here we see this image um, of a mother eagle teaching her children to fly and hovering over them to see that they are able to fly on their own. One theologian comments, when they falter in flight, she swoops beneath them and rescues them from falling. What then is the purpose of this hovering of God over the waters? It is obvious that it does not indicate a mere presence of the Holy Spirit. The purpose apparently is that an active power goes forth from the Spirit of God to the earth substance that has already been created. This activity has a direct relationship to God's creative work. Perhaps we can say that the Spirit preserves this created material, prepares it for the further creative activity of God by which um, the then disordered world will become a well-ordered whole as, a further, as further creative acts unfold. So, do you love science? Do you, just love, do you love science class? Like, then you love the work of the Holy Spirit of God who breathes cosmos into chaos. His power hovers over the disorder and he brings this shaking wind into it that breathes life into being. N.T. Wright talks about how there are three ways of viewing the work of the Holy Spirit in creation. The first is to see that all things are God, right? All things are God's things. 
Um, all things are God things. At first, this might seem like a good thing, but the problem is that it only leads to idolatry and vanity. It's one thing to say that your cat is a part of God's good creation. It's an entirely different thing to say um, that your cat is God. Um, this is what we call pantheism. It, it sees the universe as merely a manifestation of God's Holy Spirit. As such, if you're part of this universe, the point of life is to just live into your own divinity, which is what we call idolatry, because God alone is worthy to be worshipped, and we are to worship Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, not worship the divinity in us. So that's the first way of looking at it. The first, the second way to look at uh, the work of the Spirit, or the life of the Spirit and the work of creation, um, is to consider uh, God's realm as completely separate from ours. From this point of view, the work of the Spirit is merely supernatural. Sometimes the spiritual realm comes in contact with the earthly realm, but it's, it's clear that that's not the norm, so then when something strange happens in your neighborhood, who are you going to call? Unfortunately, this is, the more prevalent, this is actually more prevalent than you realize. It, it breeds a view of the Spirit that sees His work as outside the norm of everyday life. It's easy to think of the work of the Spirit being active in Big Tent revivals or in Billy Graham crusades, which of course He is, but not necessarily in the flow of everyday life. We love to say that the Holy Spirit was really moving in worship this week or this morning, but we don't often talk about how the Holy Spirit was really moving in my productive work week or in my quiet time of prayer or in the relationship between me and my kids or in the marital bedroom. From this point of view, when we talk about God, it's only when something really special happens. And I'm not saying that the Spirit doesn't work in special ways of revival and worship, but I'm saying that it's even better than that. So, I want to give us an analogy. I want to give us a kind of a, an image or, uh, to, to kind of uh, close this out for a moment. I'm going to ask Kara Poling to come up. And Kara, uh, if you may have... Uh, seen her yesterday, gave this incredible recital at the end of her time at Juilliard. It was great. So what I, yeah, what I want Kara to do for us today, I want to, I want to, hear, I want to hear her play two scales, just simple scales, uh, whatever kind she wants. And so Kara, the first scale that I want you to play, I want you to play it staccato. I want you to play it um, with spaces between the notes, and I want you to leave it unresolved. Did you hear how it was left unresolved? Um, now, I want you to play the same scale, only this time I want you to play it sustenuto. I want you to play it sustained. I want you to make sure that it's all one breath, and I want you to resolve. Unresolved. Little bursts of wind coming forth through Kara's instrument in sporadic ways, in peculiar rhythms that you couldn't quite anticipate, and then kind of left you with a feeling of unfinished awkwardness. 
And the big problem is that many of us think that that's how God's Spirit works. That God's Spirit works that same way. That, that He is a bird who swoops down on His creation every now and then just to stir things up and then leaves us to our own devices to solve life's real problems. But the second scale, there was a sustained wind. A sustained wind that began in one place and it resolved in another. And no matter where Kara took us on the scale, she knew where she was going. She knew where she was going to land. And there was never a moment when she didn't, uh, where, when you didn't hear that sound. The notes may have changed, but her playing, her uh, wind through the instrument was sustained. You, you didn't know the rhythm, but, and the intensity would rise and fall at Kara's discretion, but, but you could trust that she knew how to land the plane. So, the first way of viewing the Spirit's activity is to assume that all is God. The second way is to assume that heaven and earth are completely separate. But the biblical way of understanding the Holy Spirit is to see that heaven and earth overlap and interlock. God alone is still God, and He alone is worthy of our worship, but He sustains His creation, even in the midst of darkness, even in the midst of brokenness, which we'll get to in a moment. Not just in the moments of like quick bursts of energy and then He runs away, no, but through the preservation that He holds all things together. Now. Therein lies the problem, because the biblical narrative tells us that heaven and earth were once united. Not in a pantheistic way, but, but in a way that saw the created order of life in harmony with its creator. And that harmony, that harmony was broken by human rebellion. So God called together a rescue mission to save the world, and he called it Israel. He promised that through Israel, the entire world would be blessed. Through Israel, the Holy Spirit would bring redemption and life and unity back to the world. And that mission was fulfilled in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Through his sacrificial death on the cross and the new creation life that he offers through his resurrection. So, so next week, we're going to talk about how Jesus stands at the middle, at the crossroads of the intersection of heaven and earth, and the role that the Holy Spirit plays in factoring into the, His life, His ascension to the throne, and then ultimately through how He empowers His church. Let me pray for us. Father, thank You so much for, for, for these words. I thank You that we are connected um, through this biblical narrative, through this holy narrative, this holy story, um, to the Hebrew people. Uh, we, Father, we just ask for, um, for uh, you to fill uh, us with your Holy Spirit. That, that you would speak to us in the ways that you seek to sanctify us and redeem us by the Spirit's work. And Father, I just um, I ask that, that my friends would take this time to um, maybe hit a pause button 
on, on some of the preconceived notions that they have of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit works during this series. Um, and they'll see uh, the, the, the words of Scripture and how the Scripture that was inspired by the Holy Spirit um, gives us truth about how uh, this cosmic, how this cosmos is going to be reconciled uh, back to you, its creator. I just ask all of this in the most holy name of Jesus Christ.